welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. I am Zach. Joining me again this week is Steven Schleiger. Hello. Hey, Steven. Hey, Zach. Steven, we're on? talking about a new movie. We're not really well, a, new not a new movie. movie no. It's a new movie to me. Yeah. I never heard about it until you mentioned it last week. Oh, okay. I thought I'd mentioned it to you a while ago. Oh, had you? Uh, yeah, it's a movie that came out... Um, Originally, it hit the circuit in 2014, so it made it to a bunch of uh, film festivals. Mm -hmm. And then Big in Japan was released, I want to say, in early, late 2015. So it's been out for several months, about six months or or so that it's been out. Okay. Um, And so um, I thought, since it kind of has music and is kind of quirky and offbeat... I thought maybe you would enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. And wh- when did you hear about it? Like, how did you hear about this film? I don't remember. I think it was um, one of those things that's, hey, check out our trailer or something. At one point, it was they were, portion of the movie was kickstarted mm-hmm. uh, for completion purposes. Uh, but I don't remember how I found out about it. I'm sure I saw a trailer for it and I was like, holy cow, this movie looks fantastic. And then I was anxiously waiting for it to pop up. Or maybe it was one of my binges on iTunes where I just start going through a certain genre of movie oh, yeah. looking for new stuff that was released. And I said, well, what's this big in Japan? And saw mm-hmm. it and said, okay, well, I'll buy it. So, yeah, it, it was quite a while ago that, that I Okay, saw so this. you mentioned there was a Kickstarter to finish it. Was there yeah. two Kickstarters for this? Because I found one dating back to 2000 and. 10? 10 yeah 10 so this movie to get tickets like to pay to them to go to the Japan yeah so okay. that was that was the third phrase phase so yes oh, this wow. movie was shot in 2010 and if okay. you go up to the the um big in Japan Facebook page uh-huh. you can go back and see photos from that and they're all dated 2010 and I was like oh I thought maybe this was shot like in 2013 or something mm-hmm. but no they they shot this in 2010 and then it finally I guess whenever they had it finished was going through the festival circuit and then uh, never had a major theatrical, never had a theatrical release. Yeah. Um, but then was available in 2015. So, yeah, this is a movie that's that has been in production for a long time. And it's a very, very independent film. Yeah, I, absolutely. W- my guess is that this film cost. This film probably cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $40,000. I could. I mean, I would even almost say lower because I know that Kickstarter campaign, the original one, mm-hmm. was only for ten grand. That then, was, yeah, that's because they needed tickets to go to, to, tickets to Japan to go and, to Japan, and and yeah. those tickets that they needed were not for the band; it was for the crew, right. to get to Japan. Yeah. Um. Uh, let's come back around to okay. that because I want to get your <laughs> reactions to the movie first. Okay. Then, I, then I want to talk about the production of the okay, movie. Okay. Okay. That makes but yeah, more sense. There, when you look at the thank you section. Um, of the credits of the film, it lists a bunch of people in there. So that's mm-hmm. why my first clue was, oh, this is a Kickstarter movie. Uh, and then I started doing some more research, and the story behind the production of the film is really cool, but it also explains why the story is told the way it's told. So I wanted to get your reactions to the story itself, okay? and then we can discuss that. So okay. what's, what's Big in Japan about? So Big in Japan it follows a band from Seattle mm-hmm. called... Uh, Tennis pros. Tennis pros, yeah, mm-hmm. tennis pro. And uh, they're kind of this surfer rock type, kind of poppy rock mm-hmm. type band. And they've been a band for about seven years, and they just still haven't really made it. And one night they're doing a gig to no one, except this uh, one guy walks in and is pretty interested in them and pitches them the idea of going to Japan because their sound is what's really resonating for people over there Mm -hmm. and uh, they could potentially make it big if they were to take this risk and go to Japan. And so they gather some money and they head over to Japan and they start playing gigs and gigs and gigs. And um, it's kind of, I would say it's, it's slightly your typical 
band type film. There, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a band's trying to make it. There are some song interludes throughout mm-hmm. it. Their own music plays through it. Um, and it's just kind of them struggling to make it in Japan. Right. And also just uh, a culture clash is probably yeah, a big, a big yeah. part of this too, because each of them is going there from a different reason. The, um, uh, the, um, bassist and, and songwriter Phil, who's, who's kind of the main character in mm-hmm. this movie. Uh, he just wants to do feel like he's doing something with his life yeah. and he wants to impress his wife. And they've basically scraped together the last of their money that they had. Um, uh, so that's Phil, and then the drummer—I forget what his name is. Um, let me look here. Real yes, quick. that was the problem. Sometimes when movies like don't use names all the time, yeah. I knew Phil's name, and that's all yeah. I know. Uh, Sean is the drummer, and by day he's a hairstylist. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I think he's just looking for for fame and popularity. I think he just wants to be famous, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the that's kind of the way that he's looking at it, which kind of plays into the third act of the movie. And then you have David, who's the lead singer and uh, guitar uh, player. And by day, he counts cards at casinos and right. brings in lots of money, but he doesn't have <laughs> a lot of his own money. And, and, and in a scheme to try to get money to go to Japan, he ends up losing it all. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, he seems to be the loner of everything. And, mm-hmm. and so by the end of the movie, he's actually found love in Japan. Yeah, it is interesting because uh, Phil... And Sean, right? Sean, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Both uh, Phil's married, and right. then Sean has, has a, a girlfriend, girlfriend who's mm-hmm. like the owner of the salon he mm-hmm. works at. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they both definitely have kind of relationship ties, and then he's left alone. Yeah, so each one of them has a different reason for wanting to go. Mm-hmm. They all want to keep the band alive, but they are tired of playing these these places where no one shows up. And they feel like, and as, they, as we find out, that they feel like, the band was going to end if they stayed in Seattle mm-hmm. and they run into um, uh, a guy, Vincent at the, uh, at this club who convinces them to go and they're, right. and they're like, this guy's full of crap. Turns out he was one of the founding members of Nirvana before uh, one of the founding, or, um, founding members of the uh, Pearl Jam that's yeah. right, uh, before, you know, he essentially helped create grunge before uh-huh. he left the band moved to Japan and says he made it big in Japan right. as, as, as himself. So he's the one that's convincing these guys. Even when they get there, as the culture clash begins, it's like they're expecting <laughs> hotel rooms and they're staying in the little uh, people, single people oh, sleeping God, facilities. Funny, yeah. um, they end up staying in a love hotel. Uh, <laughs> they have hardly any money. Uh, the big gimmick is that their luggage got lost in transit. So they only have oh. two pair of clothes to wear. They're formal stage yeah. clothes. And some tennis whites Which that they use. I was watching. I was like, "What a brilliant idea in keeping your cost down." Oh, yeah. You just you just created only two outfits for your main characters. Mm-hmm. Wonderfully yeah. done. <laughs> and they don't have makeup. They, they don't have makeup people doing any makeup during no. this movie. Uh, and along the way, they meet a bunch of different bands. They meet an all female band that kind of get digs what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That's where um, David falls in love with. Uh, I think their lead singer. I think is who yeah. she is. One of the singers yeah. of the band. And they just start to make a connection. Um, Vincent, who's kind of their agent, has promised that he was going to get them in front of a a major record label Mm -hmm. in Japan. And just as they are about to give up at their their lowest point, uh, there's an earthquake that hits Japan. And... uh, Everyone, all all of the Westerners just scatter. They just don't mm-hmm. want to be there anymore. Mm-hmm. And in a brilliant moment, um, Phil and the group decides that no, we're going to stay. Mm-hmm. And 
because all the Western bands have left, there's kind of this hole that needs to be filled for people who want to hear Western music. And so they start getting a lot more gigs and clubs and they start becoming very famous. And then the record label shows up and offers them a contract and says, hey, we've got this big concert coming up that we want to feature you guys in. Everyone's excited because they've finally been signed. They're finally going to be big in Japan. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the record producer calls Sean and says, hey, man, uh, we want you and David, but Phil, he's a weirdo. We don't want him in the band at all. We'll get you another bassist. Uh, and the group decides, you know what? We're not going to sign the contract, and, mm -hmm. and we'd rather go back and, you know, live and die in Seattle if that's right. what's going to happen. And um, in the process, they've met a reporter who does a story on them who puts it up on the AP Newswire. So by the time they get back to Seattle, uh, everyone has started to hear of them, and their concerts start doing well. Mm -hmm. And they start going on West Coast tours and becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And you kind of have a happily ever after ending in that. And they, yeah. and they promise to go back to Japan. Uh, so it's it's kind of this, yeah, it's kind of this um, happy ending story of of a determination and, and music and all, and all of that. So mm -hmm. I, that's what I kind of dig of. And I also like their music. I don't know if you like their music or not. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, you know, it was uh, not... It's not the music I generally listen to, oh, really? but it's, you know, it was catchy and good. It's mm -hmm. like that weird... It feels that weird niche of just like weird music yeah. that you kind of like I kind of you kind of need. That's like pop punk or something like yeah, that. Yeah, pop really punk with like just like weird lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's very it is definitely um this there's two songs that I like is of course the Rock Over Tokyo. Yeah. Which is the main song. Uh -huh. Um but then there's the Kimberly song yeah. which is this, Kimberly pull the weeds pull the weeds Kimberly and it's just like whoa man that's just like you know it's really weird. Yeah, it was good. So um, this, uh, Tennis Pro is a real band. Right. And it is Phil, Sean, and David. Mm -hmm. They have, I want to say, four albums. I've got all of the albums. I, after I oh, watched nice. the movie, I was like, I'm buying all their albums. <laughs> click, 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 click. Um, and so, yeah, I'm familiar with, with their music. And their last album was in 2014. It was kind of like an extended LP oh, yeah. kind of song. Uh, extend or whatever. Not a full album because I think it only had eight eight songs oh, like on it. And two of Yeah, an EP. And two of the songs were repeats from previous albums uh kimberly and i think rock over to oh, okay. so we're on there um but yeah i just kind of dig there the 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 vibe they got going it's a little weird but you know they have a they do have a following unfortunately uh with indie bands like this i don't know what the current status is of the band because if you do go to their facebook page the yeah. stuff is like 2015 yeah um stuff hasn't been updated regularly i don't see tour dates on yeah them. i got to on their website and they didn't have any tour dates for mm -hmm. 2016 up yeah maybe they're taking a break yeah, or whatever maybe. i don't know if the band's folded but it, it's kind of a shame because this is a fun little movie that kind of it's it's also really weird because this is a the, and this gets into the weird part of the movie you don't know which parts are real and which parts mm -hmm. are fake because it is a real band. It is. They did go to Japan to try to make it big in Japan. And this kind of feels like, hey, th we're chronicling this. Right. These characters and, and their their adventures. And um, that's kind of where this movie takes a very interesting turn, in my opinion. OK. Um, what did you think of the? Uh, what did you think of the overall movie? What are some things that you liked? What are some things that you saw narratively? Um, um, from the cinematic side. Well, I'll start with this. It, I, I think Big in Japan has the best credit sequence that I have seen oh, yeah, in yeah. a long time. Their opening credits are 
were just like really, really well done. Like mm-hmm. even in the post credits, they were like the first thing when they started scrolling, like end and beginning credits by yeah, yeah. the production company. And I'm like, oh, that deserved it because that was those were wonderful <laughs> for that small of a movie. Um, overall, I really enjoyed the film. It was like, you know, you just watch a movie every once in a while. And you remember like why you love film, mm-hmm. and I think this movie just kind of did it for me today. I was like, oh, this is why I like it because it's just r- people doing like a it's passion like project. Of, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, it and feels it's like not, a slice of life is the yeah, story that you're watching. Yeah, and it's yeah. not trying to be. I mean, it's trying to be something, but it is what it is because mm-hmm. it's what they were doing essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I really dug it, and I thought some of the production elements were really interesting like the Kimberly song when it yeah, goes yeah. all animated yeah, yeah. like oh that's like pretty good animation for yeah, the movie yeah, yeah, of this yeah, budget yeah. and size yeah. and everything um besides that I'm trying to think of anything so yeah the, really the other weird they did but, so a couple of other things from story standpoint yeah. is David I'm sorry Phil is having writer's block they haven't written in songs uh, in a couple yeah. of years and so his wife agrees to let him go to Japan for yeah. weeks so that he can overcome his writer's block. And the Kimberly lyrics come after a night of drunkenness. Yeah. He meets this character called Mons, uh, this international guy that just travels around. <laughs> just travels around. And we he see, gets him totally see. drunk and um, does a bunch and of different things you. with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and and uh, then he has this hallucinogenic dream. Yeah, that was that scene in particularly, that whole stretch was kind of the most one of the most interesting sequences because you get the Kimberly thing in mm-hmm, there too. Mm-hmm. And then you are trying to figure out what actually happened in that night. Did they just get really drunk or, and then he went home and then had his l- lyrics or did, Oh no, they went to the bubble. They, the did, bu- they, did they go I, to they the bubble bath? Because then like the, bath, the way yes. it sequences, like they drink, yeah. they go to the bubble bath place and then they're like back at the same bar yeah, drinking yeah. and he's all stumbling around everywhere. And then mm-hmm. he wakes up and does Kimberly mm-hmm. or he falls asleep and has Kimberly. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to figure like, are they trying to say they hallucinated all that, or is it is it? And they're still like winding it back to show yeah, how I drunk think he really I, was. I just I don't I I believe it really happened. I think it did too, <laughs> uh, because that was a really funny scene. Yeah, it's yeah. like I ever had a what was like a human sponge give you a bath <laughs> or something. Um, but yeah, that scene was really well done. I, um, I I think you know some of that acting is not the best, and some of the writing was kind of not the most mm-hmm. succinct, and mm-hmm. just but some of the timing those guys had was just perfect right for there was a scene in the middle when uh they're talking about the auxiliary sink oh right 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 you know what a bidet is yeah he's like he says he was using it as a bidet and it's supposed to be a hand washing (laughs) sink and they're just kind of laying there and then david's like that's gross, man. <laughs> like, there's like just a perfect amount of beats because you don't know if he's really awake or not. Right. So these guys don't have real acting experience no. beyond what they've done in their few music videos yeah. and stage performances. And so they kind of had to kind of workshop them to get up to the ability to remember major lines and stuff. Um, but the, the story of how this film came about is very interesting because uh, John Jeffcoat, who's the director of this, uh, had been working on a documentary and then right about the time that the big writer strike took place, which I believe was in 2008, 9, 10, yeah. somewhere around there, um, he kind of just kind of got disillusioned with everything going on in Hollywood and everything. And then he found out that the tennis pro was wanted him to do a documentary of them going to Japan and trying to make it big. So if portions of this movie feel somewhat like a documentary, it's because that was the original tint of this mm. of this film. But they decided instead of trying to make it too real, 
which may not have been very good, that they would turn it in kind of like a Beatles movie yeah. or, or um, um, Future Folk. Yeah, Future Folk is what I was thinking. And that's why I figured thing. after you saw that, yeah. that you'd probably like this movie. Yeah. And so what they did was the band had already been to Japan once. Mm-hmm. And so they were going back again. So he and another guy, um, the, the co-photographer, um, mm-hmm. they went to Japan and they shot all of the stage performances. So the band was already going on tour in Japan. Uh, okay. They said, hey, we'll just go over there and capture all of your performances on the uh, f- for the for first the, part. Yeah. And that was stage one. Okay. So that didn't that had no backing. Um, the character Vincent in this movie is a real person. Oh, the record label guy? The re- no, not the record label guy. Oh, no, guy, the, guy the, who, the guy with, yeah. uh, of, um, not Green Day, but, uh. Yeah, Pearl Jam, who, Pearl Jam, yeah. who got him booked. That is a there. real person, and that is who he is really playing. Oh, okay. This, or a version of himself in this movie. All right. Right? So that's, <laughs> that's where it also gets really weird. So, after they shot all of that stuff, they were like, okay, how do, how can we, we need to start lining up locations and we need to start lining up other people who can be in this and we need to start formulating a story. Then they went back the second time uh, and that's where, or no, they came back to Seattle. They shot all the stuff in Seattle mm-hmm. so that they could form the story of what was going on. And they kind of had an idea of what the, um, um, what the story was going to be when they got to Japan. Cause they'd mm-hmm. already kind of scoped out where they wanted to shoot and everything. Oh, sure. Then the Kickstarter came in so they could get the crew back to Japan. Mm-hmm. And that's where they shot all of the story bits all of right. the movie. So if things seem kind of j- disjointed in places, in fact, in one scene at the very end when they're coming back, yeah. um, Phil has shaved his mustache. And then the very next shot, he's in this kitchen table riding his mustaches back. Oh, I didn't even it, notice. Yeah. There's some really weird things that go on with that. So this was thought. And so there was really no script until, they were going back for the third part of the the movie to kind of put it all together. And so that's why it feels like there's a bunch of disjointed stuff. And sometimes it feels like things are ad-libbed because it was just more of a structure of a story than anything else. So it's kind of like taking a narrative and a documentary and smashing mm-hmm. them together. And you end up with what Big in Japan is about. And that's what I found really fascinating. That's really interesting because I don't, as I'm thinking about watching it, I don't remember it being that disjointed really like I, I don't i felt mm-hmm. like if that's what, i mean if that's what they were doing oh, it I still flowed really think, well i don't think it was intended to be disjointed but when you watch it yeah and maybe upon multiple viewings of watching it yeah, you maybe. start to see oh well that scene really happened like the day before in this way this story goes or that shot took uh, place in yeah. this and then, okay. then you start putting it together it's like well why is it put together that way and it's like hey let's just get into this location let's shoot it yeah and let's um Let's tell this story. And there's like a bunch of stuff that was actually cut. In fact, if you go up online on YouTube, maybe I'll put this in um, the show notes. In fact, I will. I'll put the um, the Sukiyaki. It's a uh, famous Japanese singer who came to America mm. in the 1950s or whatever. Um, but Phil does a cover of that in the bar that they go to, that really skinny bar. Oh, yeah. Uh, he does a cover of that. Uh, and there's actually shots from the film that were part of that sequence that were then used in other parts of the movie, but they ended up getting a full um, semi music video out of that, Oh uh, which is not in the movie. And then the, the Kimberly music video is online as well. that You can find, so I'll put both of those into the show notes for people to watch. Um, But I just found it fascinating that, Hey, let's, uh, let's just go and shoot a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. We'll come back here, shoot some stuff in Seattle, and then we'll kind of develop our story there. And then we'll go back and we've already got the stage pieces done. So now we just need to go in and shoot the story part. Yeah. Everything around it. Uh, the Mons character, this international guy is actually the sound recordist 
for the film. Okay, I thought so because in the in credits they show him holding mm-hmm. all, all the sound equipment. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, he must have been. Yeah, doing he it. was. He was. He was the That's crew. Funny. There was there was three crew people that went. The director, who was also the cinematographer, um, the co cinematographer, who was also the director of photography or one of the directors of <laughs> photography, and they the idea was that. They had to get back and shoot this in a minimal way. And that's mm-hmm. what Jeff Jeffcoat or Jeff. Je- uh, yes. John Jeffcoat says is that he was used to shooting stuff on his Canon 5D Mark II. Uh, and he said if he was going to shoot this film in a narrative form, that the idea would be we're only going to take equipment that we can put in our backpack. Uh, and so this entire movie was shot on on Canon 5Ds. Well, and you can go in, and if you go up to their Facebook page, you'll actually see them where. They've got their their camera units, and he's got a shoulder-mounted uh, setup for his camera. And then the second unit guy, the second uh, director of photography, is just using handheld mm. on his or maybe something else. But uh, And then you've got the guy, Andrew Powers, who played uh, – I think his name's Andrew Powers – who played Mons, is the sound recordist. And so that allowed <laughs> them to get into these really tiny spaces. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that they had – that a lot of these places are real people in the locations. Um, but I'm wondering how much – permission they had in some of these locations if it was That's just you know if, if they were just like hey let's shoot here in the subway and see if anybody notices mm-hmm. us i mean they don't really go into that in any of the research that i that i looked up but i just found it fascinating that yeah if they're shooting with that small of stuff they could get in and out and do stuff before before anyone took notice which also explains why some of the shots are the way they are where they're yeah. very short and of course you're not dealing with actors who may be I'm able sure. to remember long lines so you can cut that up a little bit but which now that I'm thinking about it, thinking about that, it's really interesting because there's this scene when they're like, oh, we need to be out promoting our own stuff. So mm-hmm. we're going to go busk. Mm-hmm. And they're setting up like, oh, yeah, can, yeah. We, like, play, can we play here? Like, I don't know. Let's just play until they tell us to leave. Yeah. And then you see uh, Japanese police officers like, oh, American, you got to stop and yeah, yeah, get yeah. out like that. That could have been just that real. Been, that could have been <laughs> really real. And it, and it may have been because you notice that all of those sequences uh, with the police involved are shot far away and yeah. not close up uh-huh. <laughs> and uh and i don't know why they were asked to leave because other people were performing in that area yeah, and so maybe, maybe it's, they didn't have a permit or whatever yeah. it was but uh the musical sequences in this are very much like music videos because they'll mm-hmm. shoot them um multiple times multiple locations and then edit them edit them together especially the park sequence where yeah. they're shooting in two different locations to mm-hmm. get stuff done i just found that very fascinating because there are times when you're watching the movie, you'll see background people kind of wave at the camera as they're walking by. Oh, I'm really? Yeah, I gotta watch it again. Yeah, there's, it. You see, there's like three shots where each time you see somebody walking by and you just see someone wave really <laughs> quick. And so I'm wondering, they've got nobody there doing any yeah, kind of control stopping. and it's super, super low rent. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, I found that the backstory of the making of this film was fantastic. And it explains a lot in how the, and how and why the film or it's a movie, how it, why it feels the way it does. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah. Especially the, the small crew stuff, because Mm -hmm. if you think the hotel room, they stay in the little love hotel room. That's a very small room and they're all three in there a lot. Right. And then in the carousel ride towards the end, Mm -hmm. I don't know how many times they went around in it, but they were all in there and that would have been very cramped. Yep. They would have maybe just a photographer and a sound guy in there. Otherwise you wouldn't have enough room. And really in that, if you think about that, you see Phil, mm-hmm. and then you see single shots of the other yeah. guys, and then you see everything else is taking place in another car ahead of them, mm-hmm. shooting back at them. So it's done very simply. So yeah, it's it's very very yeah. simply done. You got to give them kudos, and yeah, absolutely. And then just and if the that's the case where they're not doing a lot of 
um, additional lighting. They're using a lot of natural light. That says a lot about the camera, and it mm-hmm. says a lot about the locations that they chose to get those looks. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if if there's just that many people, they're not. And if our idea was just equipment in a backpack, I mean, you could throw a couple of lights in there. Yeah. But you're not talking big no. K lights and everything. Uh-uh, you're not no. doing. You're probably setting up a lot of practicals just yeah. in. You're just using the natural lights in the room. Yeah. And again, that says a lot about the Canon camera if it's able to capture all oh, that yeah. at that resolution. Now they had a bunch of digital intermediates done, so I don't know what kind of uh, post and uh, you know if um, if they were using. Uh, Post correction, uh, color correction, and enhancements mm-hmm. that are being done, um, but still fantastic, right? Yeah, because it doesn't look. I don't remember if I, like the cinematography looked really low budget. It didn't. No, it doesn't. It See, that's no, the thing, right? Yeah. It doesn't feel low budget because I was like, okay, this is a crew of twenty people, and then I'm like, uh, no, the way the credits list and the photos that I've seen, there's like three or four people that are the crew, mm-hmm. and everyone else is just doing doing their thing yeah i mean it's kind of like when you watch uh primer and primer was Mm -hmm. such a small Mm -hmm. thing and that um doesn't feel super low budget or like upstream color was a really small i mean same record there but really small crew but it doesn't feel but this if we're i mean the money we're talking about spending in the cameras and three people Mm -hmm. it looks more like a like a low indie studio yeah. film yeah. not like super independent but like a studio was giving people money to make it yeah now it doesn't say that it won awards but it did have was the official selection at the seattle international film festival in 2014 official selection at the sarasota international film festival in 2014 and had its world premiere at south by southwest in 2014 it's pretty good yeah so yeah i you know i really enjoyed it and for as much uh, as um it was kind of this happy ending. For some reason, after I watched it, I was like in a very somber mood. And I don't know what it was about, if it was something from the movie that was kind of hitting me. Of like, But I don't know. It was like, it well, was kind of a know, happy ending, but... I mean, in the end, it's a happy... I mean, they don't yeah. have overnight success. I mean, no. it comes to this realization that if you want to follow your dream, you really need to follow your dream. And it's something that's not going to be handed to you on a silver platter, Mm -hmm. which is what I think a lot of people think success is, is that, oh, you are a band. Instantly you're world famous and everyone (laughs) knows you and you're on tour all the time. You guys must be rich. And it's like, no, we're not. We can't make our, we can't pay our bills. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, you're a podcaster. You must be filthy rich. And it's like, no, that's not the case. Or, uh, you know, you are, you know, a voiceover person. And so you must be making a lot of money. No, that's not the case. People have to work hard for their success. And I think that's one of the things that drills it in uh, to this movie is that you're not going to have that overnight success. There is a reality mm-hmm. to this, but they come back to more success. And by the end of the film, you feel like they're not super popular and they're not a major label, but people, they're known. Yeah. They're they known. are big in Japan and they, yeah. and the band itself has made multiple trips back to Japan to tour. That's cool. <laughs> so, you know, they are getting, they are getting that yeah. recognition. Uh, but then the fact that they're able to tour all the way down to San Diego and people are selling out their shows again, is another big mm-hmm. deal for the band. So maybe that's the somber thing is because you want them to be able to go up in front yeah, of 20,000, 30,000 people yeah. and perform, and they don't. Uh, maybe somewhat of the of the downer bits of it. But there is like a feeling that at the end, especially when Phil's talking to his wife, that it almost doesn't matter that they're going to get super popular because they're just going to keep doing mm-hmm. their music because that's what they their yeah. love and they're passionate yeah, about. Yeah. and. And they have had more success now, but um, they're just going to keep doing it because mm-hmm. 
it's what makes them happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the wife and, and Phil's wife understands that too because yeah. originally the agreement was, look, let us go and try and see what happens when we go to Japan, and when I come back. I'll be your nine to five guy and I'll do whatever you want and I'll just be the normal everyday Joe person. And mm-hmm. he comes back resigned to that. And his wife's like, no, you know what? You're, you guys are, this is what you love and what you want to do. And so you need to do this yeah. and we will work around it. And it turns out to be probably a good thing, better than him being a music teacher. Yeah, probably. Um, there's also another part and it leads up to my favorite part of the whole movie is early on, Vincent tells them or somebody tells them, um, have you ever gone on stage and after your first first song, people boo at you? Oh, yeah. And they're like, yeah, all the time. And they're like, is there ever been a time where after that set, suddenly they're applauding you and loving you? And they're like, no. Yeah. And so that kind of stuck in my mind because that's kind of the thing that they have to overcome is how do they attract that audience? Mm-hmm. And as they're going through their concerts in Japan, um, they're not getting that. They're still not getting that recognition and they don't know if people like them. People are being polite and applauding, but mm-hmm. they're, they're not getting that wowness factor. Then the earthquake hits mm-hmm. and everybody's scrambling to get out and they're trying to get out of the hotel and Phil ends up downstairs first. And there's a mother trying to comfort her daughter um, amidst this earthquake. And she, he's got a cello. Um, Phil's son plays the cello. You know, he probably teaches the cello as well. And he goes, Oh, I play the cello. Can I play the cello? for you mm-hmm. and it's this really weird moment where he's just like you know i'm not trying to perform i'm not trying to be weird mm-hmm. i'm not trying to be anybody else than someone who can play this cello and comfort somebody mm-hmm. and so he starts playing this um uh great beethoven piece mm-hmm. and it's, it sounds wonderful yeah and you know it's him playing it yeah and well, i was wondering at first and then you just if you know instruments at all and you can watch him playing oh no yeah. that's definitely him yeah he's definitely playing it and a crowd starts to gather mm-hmm. just because, and again, I don't know if these people are actually people that they said, hey, come and stand and watch yeah. this guy perform, or if they're people who naturally migrated to this because there hasn't been a real earthquake. Uh, right. In, in the, in, yeah, if you're yeah. thinking about how this movie was filmed, you know, they're going back to tell this story. Well, there's a few cars driving around in the background, and they've got um, car sirens going off in the distance and whatnot. So you can mm-hmm. assume that there's some chaos and people are nervous, but people stop and listen to this. And um, at that moment, the rest of the band just realizes, you know what? We're not going to go. We're not fleeing. Mm-hmm. We need to stay here and commit this because here, here we're actually seeing what our music is doing to people, uh, has this effect on people. And I think that's probably the most important part of this is we're doing this because we know it, it's having an Im- impact, even if it's not an impact on our lives. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I got out of it. So even though it was somewhat of a, you know, of a downer, maybe uh, somber ending, I still think that that moment is it, that's the big turning point yeah, for the whole the story. Moment. It took a long time to get there, but it's it's it really is really the most important part of the of the movie and is just brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Opinion. I think I I that is definitely the critical scene of the film, mm-hmm. and it's probably the best executed scene of the entire film as well because you do have Phil playing that cello for the people, and he's barely even looking at anyone. He's just right, enjoying right. his own music. Right. And then you have their manager guy trying to get him out of there in a cab. Mm-hmm. And they're like thinking about it like, no, we're we're just going to be here. And he's like, fine, I'm out. And then and then that's when they actually have their success. Yeah, yeah. They stay and and they get to perform for all these people. And it was, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was uh, a really well executed. And that's part of my question of their story is were they there 
not filming, were they there performing when that earthquake happened back in, I don't remember when, when they had the like, big... I don't earth- know when the Fukuyama... Yeah, I don't remember when the uh, Fukuyama earthquake that, was. Which was like... Fu- Fukushima. Is that Fukushima? what it is? Fukushima? I can't remember. Fukushima earthquake. I can't remember what year that's been in. That was in while. 2011, so that would have been after, after they were there. Everything. So, um, you know, depending on if they were shooting stuff in 2010, I mean, there's lots of earthquakes in Japan, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I guess that's true. But not the big... Um, not that one. Fukushima yeah. earthquake, yeah. Um, but there was one a few years before that a good friend of ours from college who was a international student mm-hmm. and lived, went back. Um, I want to say there was an earthquake around that time that they could have easily... Um, implemented into the story because it still would have been fresh in some people's oh, yeah. minds. And of course they would have had all the footage mm-hmm. from the news uh, re- reporters and everything. So that may have played a part in it. It doesn't, I never found anything that said that yeah. they were there during an earthquake. Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering, it's like, well, I mean, they do have earthquakes, but there was that one particular mm-hmm. that was in my mind. I was like, I think it was around that time, but I couldn't yeah, remember was, how long ago it was. Yeah, it would have been after they shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the best recurring bits of this film, in my mind, was they were staying in this love hotel, which they found out from the barkeep. And uh, so there was this prostitute that was just kind of hanging out in the room all the time. They uh-huh. kind of almost become friends with her, just at least right. ambivalent to her being there. Right. And uh, it kind of ruined Sean's relationship because he was Skyping with his girlfriend and she mm-hmm. just walks in the back and he has no idea how to explain it. Yeah. Uh, but I think the best part or the best line in any movie that I've seen for a long time is uh oh i just told when phil is talking with his wife mm-hmm. and this the girl or the, the wife uh, skypes phil right. to make sure he's okay with the earthquake right. and she answers the skype call yeah and she's kind of dressed in like yeah, this, she's just her, this, in her like lingerie yeah. type stuff and yeah. she's like uh is phil there and she goes and gets him they're kind of talking and his, his Phil's wife goes, so who was that chick? He's like, oh, it's, you know, it's a weird story. And, and she's like, it's not like a groupie or a prostitute, is she? And Phil goes, well, she's not my prostitute. <laughs> Which I, really I just died laughing. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. Um, So we talked about, like, it, it reminded me of Future Folk. Yeah, it and did. It, it really did. It has that and, feel. And, and I think maybe that's why, that's probably how I stumbled upon it, because yeah. either I was looking for things that were associated oh, with, yeah. or coming soons or whatever, and it was right around the same time that I had seen uh, Future Folk debut, mm-hmm. and was telling you all about it. And I was like, well, where are some other things like this? And I saw, oh, here's Big in Japan, and I know I had to pre-order it. Mm-hmm. I knew I didn't buy it and watch it the same night. Uh, so it had to have been something that was a pre-order or buy it now kind of thing. I was like, Ooh, well, if I like future folk, I hope that I like this. And I didn't, I did like it. And I mm-hmm. was like, wow, this is a, this is a cute little, cute little movie. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Um, cause I was thinking, I was like, is this the new thing for like really small indie bands is to somehow manage to put together like a film that kind of catapults you into some yeah, next realm of success. That's the weird thing because. You know, we've got friends. Um, um, one of the people who write at the Major Spoilers website mm-hmm. is um, one of the co-members of Ukla the Mock, which is oh, right. also a very kind of indie uh, band. They do a lot of silly stuff. And it's like, wow, I wonder if these guys could do a, 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 a an indie film, yeah. you know, if, if they would ever be interested in that. Mm-hmm. Or, or even Paul and Storm, why they haven't done yeah. uh, kind of something like this. Yeah. But you're right. It does seem to be kind of the thing is to try to get a pseudo 
documentary mm-hmm. history of the band put into film form featuring all their music. Yeah. And just an interesting, quirky story. And it is interesting because we talked about how Tennis Pro, we don't really know the, the status of their band right now. Yeah. It's I, kind of the same thing with Future Folk. Because like that happened and they kind of released an album with all their music mm-hmm. on that. And it's like... Oh, I, still, I, really heard, I still I, see I, them pop up on, yeah, every on once in a uh, while, Twitter. I'll They've got a concert there. going on. But even um, even when you look at Aquabats, for example, I don't oh, know if sure. you know who the Aquabats yeah. are, but <laughs> yeah. you know they started out as an indie band for a long time before they got their break on um, uh, what's the thing with Broby and uh, Yo Gaba Gaba. Oh, That's where right. they kind of got their break, and then that yeah. led to the TV series for f- three seasons, four seasons, whatever it is. And now they're just back to doing small tour dates in San Diego. Uh, oh, really? So if you follow them, it's like, oh, whatever happened to the Aquabats? Well, yeah, they're still doing their thing, but they're doing it in a very limited location, and they seem to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would imagine that's probably the same thing with um, uh, Tennis Pro and Future Folk, is mm-hmm. they're is just kind of doing that, doing that little thing, and they're okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ookla the Mock, when we started Major Spoilers Podcast back in 2008 mm-hmm. – uh, wanted to use their music, but it was like I could not contact them. Their website was okay at the time, but there was I'd contact them, never hear anything. They didn't have a social media presence at the time. And then suddenly, uh, a few months ago, I was like, well, you know what? I'd like to try to reach out to them again. And sure enough, they started to respond. And if you pay attention, they've actually they've uh, according to Rand, they have someone that does their social media full time now. And so there is more mm-hmm. of a presence, and there is more people doing stuff now. And so maybe it's just, you know, maybe both Future Folk and um, Tennis Pro just need to do more social media stuff and make people aware. But maybe at the same time, they're just fine doing um, doing their small tour thing and having Mm -hmm. their local audience that comes out and pays them. And they've got their full time jobs that pay for their houses and rents Mm -hmm. and whatever. So I'm I'm okay with that. Have you seen the documentary? Uh, mistaken for strangers no i have not it's, oh yeah i've got it yeah this is the one where uh, tell us what that it, is the, the mistaken for strangers is a documentary created by the brother of the lead singer of the band the national mm-hmm. which is this kind of uh it's kind of a really popular indie band in from america and his brother is kind of a slacker type yeah yeah, yeah. and so he wants to go on tour with him and make this movie and just kind of be with him and I watched it, and it was uh, a really great film. But I was like, I there was a part of me like I can't figure out if this is fake or if this is real. And right, most of the right. thing was like he was creating a documentary about him stuff. But it's like none of the brothers like look exceptionally good, right. which is like why would the the lead singer of this famous band do this on accident, or why would he allow this to go out? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really good. So is it is it a real band? Yeah, yeah, all, yeah. I'm pretty sure the whole up. thing's real. Oh, okay. Um, at least I was just trying to skim through everything again to see if I was wrong about that. But I'm pretty sure it's just him documenting going through this process of 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 filming his brother on tour for the, like their latest album and stuff, mm-hmm. and then him their relationship is really bad. And um, yeah, I'd never, I'd not watched it, but I'd seen it multiple times. And I was like, oh, do I, do I? Do I get this or not? So I yeah. was kind of sitting on the fence about it. Yeah, I I think I grabbed it one day like two years ago because it's like a ninety nine cent yeah, rental or something, yeah. and so I watched it. and It was really good. And okay. I, I mean, I'll check it as out. As far as music documentaries go, it's definitely uh, one of the more interesting because it's not really about the about the music, but it's about mm-hmm. this brotherly relationship that goes bad. It's interesting. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, do you know of any other 
uh, movies that kind of fall into this? I mean, um, certainly, as I've already mentioned, the monkeys have theirs, and the the Beatles have theirs. Yeah, but you know, I've never was a, a, a long day's night. Is the Beatles yeah, one? Well, I've yeah, never they have a couple watched, of them. Yeah, I've that never are that watched way. him. Uh, and help. I, yeah. I think help is probably the biggest one where oh, okay. they are um, they are the Beatles and um, or a band. Yeah, Ringo finds himself the human sacrifice target of a cult, and the band must try to protect him from it. Oh, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, you look at all those things. Uh, or, yeah, Hard Day's Night is the one that takes a typical look at the day in the life of the Beatles. Okay. Um, but, you know, you wrap these weird things around these bands, and mm-hmm. it suddenly becomes a very quirky story. And I don't I don't know, you know, the Beatles movies are probably very popular. Um, but I don't, I think that those are a long way away from... Things like Big in Japan. Yeah. Because this is an indie band and it, it's it got a story and you don't know what parts are true and which parts aren't. When you go and see the Beatles, you're like, oh, well, that's the Beatles. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no mistaking that that's the Beatles and we know who the Beatles are. We right. know who the Monkees are. You know, we know who the Rolling Stones are. Um, so this is these kinds of films, I think, are are very different. What if, do, you, do you think Big in Japan would still work if you didn't? Have the understanding that they are a real band before you go into it. Oh yeah, just I feel think, like I think it, no, 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 I think it, it would have be. that weird feeling of what's real and what's. No, I don't think so. No, yeah, no. It's, it's kind of better if you know they're a band, isn't it? Um, because then it's I like don't know because you know I didn't know that Future Folk was a real band. Yeah, you know when I saw the trailer for that movie, I was like, oh, this looks quirky and entertaining. <laughs> I'll watch yeah. it, and then I fell in love with it. And then I was like, I wonder if this is like a real thing. And I found out, oh, no, this is a real band. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then the same way with with this one, I watched it and I was like, well, these guys have to be a real band. Mm -hmm. And then I went afterwards and looked and said, oh, yeah, this is a real band. Um, I think it's it's okay if you're not. And I think both of those films work if you don't know who the people are mm-hmm. it's like if, if rem suddenly busted out with a, a movie you didn't know if rem <laughs> yeah. was a real band you'd be like oh man this rem stuff is really cool so i think there's that um i think these films kind of serve as a vehicle to help promote the group wider mm-hmm. uh so if you already know that it's the band and this is a movie that they're in then it suddenly just becomes a film for the fans and it may not have a yeah, wider appeal true. beyond that but because they don't make a big deal that this is a real band. Then I think you, you attach yourself to it more Mm -hmm. because then you're like, Oh, this is fantasy. I can relax. I can sit back and it's not a documentary where I feel like, Oh my gosh, if it's a documentary, these guys are having a horrible time and their lives suck and all this kind of stuff. So I think that that, that kind of works in that way. And I really like this fictional approach to, Mm -hmm. to this, like, um, both of the films that we've mentioned, I think really work fictionalized because if this were just straight up documentary, number one, I think it would be boring. Uh, oh yeah, probably <laughs> uh, because it'd just be a bunch of interviews and performances, mm-hmm. and that's it. And you wouldn't have a story to tell. Um, and number two, it would probably not g- have gotten the broader view mm-hmm. um, that it would as a fictionalized piece. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's I think there's probably a lot of documentaries about bands that are you know trying to oh, make yeah, it, sure. and they don't go anywhere because no one wants to watch a documentary. But if you yeah. say, hey, here's the story of a band trying to make it big in Japan, and you say story instead of a documentary, people are more yeah. likely to sit down and watch it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it would be very weird if Future Folk was a straight-up documentary. Well, yes, because that, that certainly <laughs> would. Because they're different, different Because they're from a different planet. Yeah, yes. yeah, it would get and really we did, complicated. We did Future Folk on this uh, podcast, so people can go back and find that. Did we actually do yeah, it I'm as pretty sure that we did. I'm pretty sure that we did a Zach I hope we did, because Future Folk. that movie is awesome. 
I also made my dad listen to a bunch of the music because he likes uh, like folk music and stuff. Oh, maybe, <laughs> so we, I made him... maybe we didn't. I don't see it. Uh... I couldn't remember if we did it or we just talk about it enough between the, between the two of us and we just think we did a podcast over it. Oh, man, if we did, then we should do a <laughs> podcast on History of Future Folk. Man, I thought that uh, I thought for sure we did it. Let me do one more search and see if we... Uh... It seems like we did talk about it for like a lot. Yeah, yeah, Like yeah. one day. Yeah. So that surely that was just a podcast. Well, I've got an archive here at Major Spoilers that says History of Future Folk. No, we did not do a podcast on Oh, my on gosh. It. Well, we must have talked a lot about it somewhere because because yeah. um, I ended up doing a, a Friday sing-along that featured one of their songs on there. Yeah. So yeah that's it, weird. Yeah, especially because that is, we talk about movies mm-hmm. that with a small budget that don't mm-hmm. feel like it. Future Folk, and I can't remember... It actually, if it had a studio backing, but it was like it had like yeah, special it's, effects it's, and like yeah, real yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's weird that we didn't. We've never talked about that on this show because you and I both loved it so much. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's during that weird time when we were still doing. Uh, so this is 2013. So yeah, we would have still been doing. Oh, yeah. The regular, yeah. the regular Zach on film history of mm-hmm. movies. So that's, that's probably what, why that's we didn't why get it to was. it. Yeah. Did I ever tell you I <laughs> I tried to. Convince Aubrey to make a future folk song our first dance at a wedding. Yes, you did. I remember that because you were, you loved it so <laughs> much. It was, it was so the one good. about the um, uh, sand worms or whatever. Oh that no, that one? one's too fast. But there, there's a, there's a one on their album that's in the movie that's like a slower song. I think he sings for his wife or something. Like we have to do this for a first dance, and I, I got outvoted, and Adele made, made the made stepped in and took well, that's future okay. folk place. Oh, that's the future folk trailer. I don't know. That's that's their song. Is this the one? Um, I think so. Chromosome Z? No, it wasn't Chromosome Z. Yeah, I'll have to find it and see which one it is. Well, listeners, uh, I would recommend since we haven't (laughs) talked, since we haven't talked about the history of future folk, and now you're like, I don't remember these guys ever mentioning history of future folk. Um, I would recommend that you go, uh, that you go and check it out. And it should be on Netflix. It is on Netflix. Yeah. And uh, it is definitely on uh, iTunes yeah. that you can get it. And I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon as well. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Those are mini episodes of Future Folk of just pitching it to go watch it. Yeah, yeah. And it, I think people should definitely watch this in tandem with it. Uh-huh, I think so. Because there's a, a, a similar a similar feel, but there mm-hmm. is a different and, thing. Because Future Folk is like so quirky and weird right. where this is quirky and weird in, in and a different way. Here's the weird thing about both those movies. So um, Big in Japan was shot in 2010, mm-hmm. didn't really release and people got to see it until 2014, mm-hmm. didn't really come to wide audience until 2015. History of Future Folk, I don't know when it was shot, but I'm going to say that it was also around 2010 because that movie came out in 2012 yeah. in the festival circuit and then in 2013 wide. So these films were going on almost the same time as one another. One, of course, is taking place in Japan or Seattle. So we'd say West Coast. Future Folk takes place on the East Coast. Uh And so it's like East Coast, West Coast, kind of similar kind of vibe (laughs) kind of thing going on. And it's like really weird that those two films were done right around the same time. Sometimes you see that in in, – and it's not somebody stealing someone else's idea. It's just the zeitgeist of the times or zeitgeist just – people are like, hey, we should do this this Mm -hmm. movie. And I would like to see more like this. I really kind of do. If yeah, they can, I dig it. If they can be quirky and fun and not full of themselves, because that's the thing about Future Folk and uh, Big in Japan, is that it doesn't feel like they're full of themselves, mm-hmm. as, as opposed to, again, a popular band 
who might go out and do this. And there's a pretentiousness right. around the film and yeah. the actors and, and the characters and what they're doing. You know who would be another great band to do this? And we get some females in the cast. Yeah, is the double clicks. The double clicks would actually would be, awesome. be another one. So yeah. yeah, so there's three three bands: Paul and Storm, Double Clicks, and um, Ukla the Mock. Yeah, that you could totally do stuff with this. And I think, to be honest, of the three, Double Clicks would be the better. Uh, the yeah, better it would movie. Be really Nothing good. against Paul and Storm or no. and Ukla the Mock, but Double Clicks would certainly certainly fall right into a. These guys deserve a movie, mm-hmm. a, you know, a make-believe movie about their lives. Yeah. What about, I'm trying to think, this is just popping in my head, a film that's like this but with a bigger band is uh, Jack Black's Tenacious D. They already did that, though. But, I, mean, they, they, I mean, they did do that. So I'm mm-hmm. not saying, does it fall in the same category of that like one this mythical a, Yeah, it does, but that one, had a, that one had a much bigger budget. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, it was a big studio thing. Yeah, yeah. But it kind of falls into that same yes, thing it of, does. like, it, this is a real band and mm-hmm. people probably didn't know about it before Yeah, they the just thought it was out. Jack Black screwing around kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it totally, it totally mm-hmm. does. Um, but it had a much bigger budget and it doesn't feel... No, it, it doesn't, doesn't feel like this. And, and that's, I think, one of the nice things about Big in Japan because they are using the two-person crew and they're using the 5D Mark uh, IIs mm-hmm. or whatever, the Canon 5Ds. Um, because they're using those cameras, they're able to get in tight spaces and yeah. small places. And there's a lot of tight, small places in Japan. And so the film, in the same way the future folk, feels more intimate. It feels more special. Yeah, and so absolutely. you, the audience, are connecting with this small band and their struggles or these aliens and their struggles <laughs> yeah. and the audience has that connection whereas when you look at um, Pick a Destiny yeah. or just even the music videos that that came from uh, Tenacious D's first album mm-hmm. there's this distance between you and the audience because this is there big is so and much, we can yeah. do big set pieces and we can show big wide shots and that's not that's not the case mm-hmm. with these films yeah. and certainly if the Double Clicks did something like that yeah, it'd be awesome. Uh, I think that would be. They have a pretty good following. They, they, they do. They, they, could, they could raise money on Kickstarter. They could. If they they could. That. Well, they've already done it once. I mean, yeah. I did the. I supported their last Kickstarter, uh-huh. and I think that if they said, "Hey, we're doing a movie, and it's not a concert movie, but it kind of is, but mm-hmm. it's a fictional story, but features us," boom! I think yeah, it, it would fund. Good. It would fund a million dollars overnight. It'd be awesome. And the cool thing, 2010. I don't know what was going on with Kickstarter in 2010, but so this small. had to be one of the smallest, earliest yeah. Kickstarter projects. I was surprised. And they weren't looking it... for funding for production. They were just looking for tickets to Japan. Yeah. When I found a Kickstarter, I was like, when was this? And I got yeah, like, yeah. 2000, I'm like, I don't even remember Kickstarter being, I don't remember the first thing I backed on Kickstarter, but it definitely wasn't in 2010. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, Here's... When I was watching this with Phil, mm-hmm. this one weird theory came to mind. Okay. So theory, so Phil's kind of a, a, a quirky little dude. He's kind of kind of pudgy, and he wears big black glasses. Uh-huh. Uh, I like to think that Phil is some like alternate universe or some grown-up story from the main kid in uh, Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> Because <laughs> it kind of acts as someone like oh, they kind of they have like curly hair. They kind of act weird. I think I think it's uh, a continuation of his story. That's what I like to think. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't think so either. It's funny though. But some of his lines, he's like that kind of like just kind of weird, dry. I'm like, eh, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna go with this fan theory that fills uh, the character from Moonrise Kingdom. Okay, I'll That's, let you do that. Thanks. <laughs> I'm just gonna ride on it. All right. Uh, so is that it? That all for you? Guys I think so. It's just, Japan, I, wanted, I just wanted to get people to be aware of it because it is really interesting and, and really kind of a fun movie. It's very different than what yeah. people might expect. And it might lose you about 
45 minutes into because there's about a, I want to say there's probably about a 10 or 15 minute period where the movie really kind of drags. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's right before it's it's the part leading up to uh, Mons getting Phil's uh, drunk. Oh, yeah. And then the earthquake. So right before that, oh, there's a little about yeah. a 10 minute piece. It's just like this kind of drags a little bit because mm-hmm. the band doesn't know what direction they're going in. And it just kind of feels down. And of course, that's a downer part of the movie. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, definitely check it out. And I, I think I saw some of the ratings or like the IMDb thing were low, but yeah, it's like don't believe 5.6 that. Don't believe uh, on um, IMDb has it, it, it as a 5.6 out of yeah. 10. It, it, it's a good, it's a good investment of what, like an hour 40. Yeah. I think it, it's uh, only an hour it's 40. definitely worth your time. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I, I like to have these weird little palate cleansers of big blockbuster stuff because we're getting into a thing where I think June is destruction season yeah. with Independence Day mm-hmm. and some of the other stuff coming out. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're going to want a small independent budget to... To get ready to go watch a bunch of aliens destroy tall buildings. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's going to be it for this week's episode of Zach on Film. Hey, to, head, oh, head, 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 head <laughs> over to Majorspoilers.com where you can find this podcast posting page. And uh, get, take some time and go watch Big in Japan and then go over there and give your thoughts and opinions about the things we talked about in that film in general. And while you're there, head over to, ma- uh, click on Major. Ugh, I can't talk at all. <laughs> click on okay. the Amazon.com link over at Major Spoilers. When you do that, you can go and it'll take you out to Amazon. You can buy all of your books and movies and random clothes. Uh, it's not going to cost you any extra when you do that, but it helps support major spoilers uh, by just giving a little funding back to the site so they can continue making uh, podcasts like this, podcasts like Critical Hit and Major Spoilers, mm-hmm. and so many more. Uh, and that's a great way you can uh, help keep things going. Uh, so that's it for this week's episode of Zach on Film. We'll see you next week. This podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. big money and transform your home with new appliances now at menards we offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today check out top appliance brands including KitchenAid, maytag whirlpool amana and criterion upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at menards shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at menards.com save big